reading is from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. 2 Corinthians 12. verse 7 through to 12, the well-known passage about the thorn in the flesh from which the Apostle Paul suffered and the way that God used those adverse circumstances in a very positive way to teach a lesson to the Apostle, to help him to grow into that lesson a little more. Verse 7, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. And uh, we'll stop there. Uh, Verse uh, Isaiah 38, that's the text for the sermon, Isaiah 38. Read the whole chapter, and uh, then after that, from the Westminster Confession, chapter 5, articles 5 to 7. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Behold, I will cause the shadow on the stairway, which has gone down with the sun on the stairway of Ahaz, to go back ten steps. So the sun's shadow went back ten steps on the stairway on which it had gone down. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. 
I said, in the middle of my life, I am to enter the gates of Sheol. I am to be deprived of the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. Like a shepherd's tent, my dwelling is pulled up and removed from me. As a weaver, I rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day until night, thou dost make an end of me. I composed my soul until morning. Like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day until night, thou dost make an end of me. Like a swallow, like a crane, so I twitter, I moan like a dove. My eyes look wistfully to the heights. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my security. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I shall wander about all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health, and let me live. Lo, for my own welfare I had great bitterness. It is thou who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. For Sheol cannot thank thee. Death cannot praise thee. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for thy faithfulness. It is the living who give thanks to thee as I do today. The father tells his sons about thy faithfulness. The Lord will surely save me. So we will play my songs on stringed instruments all the days of our life at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Then Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? And then also from the Westminster Confession, should be in the bulletin, chapter 5, articles 5 to 7. in this uh, chapter on providence. Article 5. The most wise, righteous and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and the deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry other just and holy ends. Article 6. As for those wicked and ungodly men whom God as a righteous judge for former sins doth blind and hardened, from them he not only withholdeth his grace whereby they might have been enlightened in their understandings and wrought upon in their hearts, but sometimes also withdraweth the gifts which they had and exposeth them to 
such objects as their corruption makes occasions of sin, withal gives them over to their own lusts, the temptations of the world and the power of Satan, whereby it comes to pass that they harden themselves even under those means which God useth for the softening of others. And then Article 7, As the providence of God doth in general reach to all creatures, so after a most special manner it taketh care of his church and disposeth all things to the good thereof. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, since your word often deals with truths that humble us and that are beyond our comprehension, truths that the world finds objectionable, will you enable us to accept these truths with humility, recognising our limitations, but also recognising your sovereignty even over sin and evil. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, one of the things that often troubles God's people is the sins that won't go away. And it can be hard enough for us when we have a physical ailment that doesn't go away, uh, an illness, a chronic illness, one where we have perhaps prayed repeatedly to the Lord and asked him to cure us of that particular illness, and maybe even harder if we feel that that illness is one that hinders our use of our gifts and our exercises of whatever ministries the Lord has given us, but we find that this uh, illness or chronic illness uh, seems to get in the way and there seem to be all the reasons why the Lord should remove it so that we can get on with serving Him and we ask Him accordingly and yet the problem remains. That's hard enough when we deal with physical illness. But perhaps worst of all, the sins that keep on recurring in our lives and uh, certainly do uh, threaten to hinder our service to God and our ministry in his church, those sins that keep recurring even though you have repeatedly asked the Lord to help you resist those things. I'm talking about the kind of things that are deeply, uh, deeply ingrained character witnesses, uh, character um, Weaknesses, sorry. Uh, things like, uh, for example, an anger problem. If you uh, suffer from that, you're inclined to fly off the handle very easily and you've asked the Lord to help you with that and you find that you're still flying off the handle fairly regularly. Or it could be habits like bad language and you ask the Lord to help break that habit but still it keeps going. Or addictions, uh, those kind of situations that do occur in the lives of God's people. Well, it is then that the thought may cross our minds that perhaps the Lord isn't listening or perhaps the Lord doesn't care or perhaps the Lord can't help or perhaps the problem is that we don't really know the Lord. It is important then to be aware of the fact that the Lord in his providence even has a purpose for the spiritual problems and sins that from which we suffer, uh, sometimes over quite a long term. And that's something that the Westminster Confession points out in this fifth chapter, uh, particularly in these articles, uh, points out 
that even this is under God's providence. That is uh, something also that King Hezekiah discovered. And if you've thought that that passage sounded a little bit familiar, that could be uh, because some time back we looked at 2 Kings 20, which uh, deals with the same events uh, from a slightly different angle, but uh, nevertheless uh, certainly a lot of overlap. Uh, We did look at 2 Kings 20 some time ago, but now we'll be looking at this passage in Isaiah 38 in connection with these articles in the Westminster. Three points as we do so. First of all, Hezekiah's complaint. Secondly, what the illness taught him. And thirdly, why the Lord permits temporary backsliding. So Hezekiah's complaint, what his illness taught him, and why the Lord permits temporary backsliding. In the first place, then, as I've alluded to, the relevant background here, parallel passages, 2 Kings 18 through to 20, tells us about the life of King Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles chapters 29 to 32, and Isaiah chapters 36 to 38. They cover similar ground. And one of the things that we learn in all of those passages is that Hezekiah was one of the best kings that Judah ever had. He was up there with Josiah and even almost with King David, one of the three greatest kings in the history of Israel. And yet it is especially in 2 Chronicles 32, verses 25 and 26, that we find one big problem highlighted. No doubt he had more sins in his life, but there's one that is really highlighted, and that is the problem of pride. And it is a reminder also that it doesn't really matter how godly you are and how much good you're doing in the life of the church, uh, we all have these kind of areas. In his case, the one that's singled out is uh, pride and also what follows from that, because to whatever extent we have pride in our lives, there will, by the same token, be ingratitude towards God. Because pride is when we start to congratulate ourselves as opposed to giving all praise and thanks to God. So those two things go together, and so it did with Hezekiah. And no doubt this is the reason why the king was struck down with a mortal illness in the prime of life, as he complains in uh, verse 10 in Isaiah 38. In the the midst of life, we would say, Lord, you've put this disease on me in the prime of my life, which to Hezekiah and his people must have seemed like a very, very difficult thing, perhaps even more so than it would for us. Because the people of the Old Covenant were very steeped in this idea that those, the, the man who was blessed by God, the faithful man, would be blessed by God and ordinarily he would enjoy long life and health and prosperity. That was the norm. Uh, there was plenty of information in the Old Testament, like the book of Job, to teach God's people that they ought not to fall for some ancient health and wealth gospel, prosperity gospel, uh, that they ought not to fall for that, that God could and he did make exceptions for his own glory and for the welfare of his people. Nevertheless, uh, this was a kind of a norm in the old covenant situation. And in addition to that, uh, Hezekiah was a man, because he was a good king, 
He was a man in the prime of his life who was in the midst of the most amazing set of reforms, spiritual reforms for the people of Judah. And what happened to him then would have a big effect in his own mind on his people. And why would it be that a man who was being so faithful, doing so much good for the church, would suddenly be cut off in the prime of life at a time when he had no successor? What would happen to the church? And so no doubt, for these reasons, Hezekiah struggles with this information that he's given by Isaiah. Now, I note that the king doesn't mess around with any weak view of God's sovereignty. He doesn't say in response to this, God has nothing to do with disasters. He doesn't say in response to this, well, maybe God is just permitting this to happen in the sense of standing back and just letting things take their natural course. No, in verse 15, he's in no doubt about God's sovereignty and the sovereignty of his providence even over things like this. In verse 15, he says, He has spoken to me and he himself has done it. Note the emphasis there. God himself has done this. And he's absolutely correct. But the king doesn't immediately understand why. And initially, his response to that is to say, Lord, I've walked before you in truth. I have done what is good with a whole heart, verse 3. So why should I die so young? This uh, alerts us to the fact that one of the first things we ought to consider if we find ourselves in such a situation, which is this, that the Lord's reasons or purposes may not be known by us and they are frequently not known by us immediately if we ever get to know them at all in this life. It may be that those things come out later. It may be that our sins, for example, which we don't always recognise at the time, that our sins may be known by us later and we may have a better understanding of why these things happen. If we turn against the Lord to bitterness, something that the king admits he did, then we, stand the, uh, we run the risk that we're actually blocking ourselves from understanding these very things that we could learn from such situations. Because bitterness gets in the way of learning about ourselves and what we should be learning from difficult circumstances. Nevertheless, the Lord mercifully heard Hezekiah's plea. He granted a promise of healing, at least a 15 extra years of life, and he also promised deliverance from Assyria for the city of Jerusalem. He gave a sign to back it up, again, uh, very graciously. The Lord ought not to be tested, but sometimes he graciously gives signs in the Bible times. And he gave a sign to back this up, the shadow going the wrong way on the steps. Not because the Lord was mistaken when he first told Hezekiah that he was going to die, that he had a mortal illness. Not because the Lord went back on his word or anything of that kind. But because the sense of those kind of prophecies in the Bible goes along these lines, the same with the warning to Nineveh about their destruction that you will die if 
nothing changes. You will die if the Lord does not intervene. And the Lord often expresses things in that way. He expresses it this way by way of a warning in order to bring about that very change of events that uh, will bring relief. And that's the case here. And that is the point, that we do not know all the factors that the Lord brings together in his providence. We don't know the future outcomes that he has in mind. We don't know the effect that what he's doing is going to have on us, let alone on others. For our problems, the things that come to us in God's providence, are not always only for us. They are very often for the benefit of others as well, as was the case with Hezekiah as the king of uh, Judah. And therefore we need to remain patient and to remain trusting and to remain humble in recognition of our limited knowledge, in recognition of the fact that we don't actually deserve any good in ourselves and have no right, even Hezekiah recognised that, don't have any right what can we answer back to God in such situations? Nothing. And in recognition also of the Lord's goodness and greatness. And of course it is always good to examine ourselves for any sins. When we suffer it is good to examine ourselves for any sins that we might have been hiding from ourselves. Thankfully Hezekiah learned something from this predicament. Uh, second point, what the illness taught him. As I mentioned, the king didn't get the point at first, as 2 Chronicles 32 verses 25 and 26 shows, but at some point he humbled the pride of his heart and uh, since it wasn't just about him but also about his people, all Jerusalem seeing these things happened also humbled their hearts before God. This had an effect on the whole church in that place. And when they all humbled their hearts, then the wrath of God, we read in 2 Chronicles 32, did not come upon them in Hezekiah's days. Hezekiah responded to God's mercy with a writing. Sometimes that word writing refers to an official document. Uh, in this case, it probably means a psalm. Uh, it's in the form of a Hebrew psalm. Uh, he says himself at the end of that that he was one who would, uh, his songs would be sung in the house of the Lord. He was also a king who reformed uh, music in the temple. So he was a man who was interested in reforming music in the church. And uh, so he contributed to that in this way. Since it was written after his recovery, we can see something of what he learned from the experience, actually from two experiences. He learned from two things here. He learned firstly from having this illness, what was in itself a mortal illness initially. He learned from that, but he also learned from the fact that God gave him over to his own pride and bitterness for a certain period of time. And he learned from both of those things. What did he learn? Well, uh, there are at least four things that come out in this psalm that the king learned from this. First of all, one I've already mentioned, that he learned that he wasn't in a position to complain. Verse 15, What shall I say? 
He himself, the Lord, has done it. Who is in a position to question that? Very important thing to consider when we find ourselves in situations like this or in any situation. A second thing that he learned was to see and to admit his own sin. Verse 17, I had great bitterness, he writes, and he could see that more clearly afterwards. A third thing he learned was the Lord's mercy in forgiving that sin. Verse 17, you have cast all my sins behind your back and kept my soul from the pit of nothingness, pit of death and destruction. And uh, what a great picture that is of the effect of Christ's work, to see it in those terms. He's dealing with our sin, that what he does in dealing with our sin is that he throws it over God's shoulder like a piece of rubbish. And that's a very powerful image of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done with our sin. And that was something, in an Old Testament way, that Hezekiah learned from these experiences more deeply than he knew before. Uh, Then also, fourthly, he could see that all of this was for his welfare, both the illness and the time of backsliding. Those things were for his welfare. Note also that in this song, uh, the first part of it does actually look back to the initial bad attitude, but as the song moves on, you see that Hezekiah doesn't end up resorting with some argument that God should spare his life because he deserves it. He's been so wonderful as a reformer. He's been so great in his work in the church that he deserves to be, uh, have the death uh, sentence, so to speak, removed from him. He doesn't say, well, look, how is God going to get by without me helping in the life of the church? He doesn't argue anything like that. Rather, in verses 18 to 20, He simply expresses his desire to remain in the land of the living simply so that he can then praise God with his whole being, body and soul and that he can encourage any sons he might have to do the same thing and he can encourage his people, Judah, he can encourage them as well to join with him in worshipping God in the temple all the days of their life. And that, you see, is a very God-centred plea for himself rather than a self-centred plea for himself. We find something very similar with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1, verses 21 to 26. In a way, we could say that this passage here is the, the closest equivalent to what Paul says in Philippians 1, uh, but in an Old Testament setting even though we have to acknowledge that the New Testament passage gives a fuller exposition of the issue. Because the apostle doesn't ask God to spare his life. Rather, he says that he is very sure that it would be personally better for him if he should die and come into the Lord's presence. What a blessing. What could be better than that? To escape all of the ills of this life and to be in the presence of God's glory without any sin, nothing better than that. And the apostle recognises that. But nevertheless, he's torn. Perhaps an experience that you've had as you think about, especially some of the older members, as you think about your days uh, growing shorter, so to speak, 
uh, the time of your end in this life growing nearer every day, you think about that more often and perhaps you feel the same way, a little bit torn about that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. The Apostle Paul felt torn. But why did he feel torn? Because he wants to be, carry, to be able to carry on a fruitful labour in this life for the sake of glorying, glorifying God in helping his people, helping them to glorify God. That God-centred reason for himself, the sparing of himself, rather than a man-centred reason. Much the same as we find with Hezekiah. As God's people, our desire for recovery from illness and our praying for others in their recovery of illness, and we seem to have been doing a lot of that very lately in our congregational prayers, but in so many things, in our, some in our own congregation, and some very serious matters in some of our other congregations as we even prayed today. But as we offer God those prayers, our prayer for recovery ought to be primarily concerned about the glory and the praise of God rather than simply having man's longevity as some kind of end in itself or aim in itself. No, it is about the glory of God. And actually the same ought to be true in our desire for spiritual recovery from backsliding. Our spiritual recovery from besetting sins that as we pray about such things, our primary reason ought to be for God's glory rather than simply, say, removing ourselves from the, the possibility of some punishment from God or from some consequences that come would, or might come because of our sinning. Well, from all of this we can see that Hezekiah learned quite a lot from this illness. And he learned quite a lot from his backsliding down the track. And this is no excuse to wallow in sin in order that grace may abound, as if to say, well, I'd, I'm just going to sin a little bit more so that down the track somewhere I'll be able to learn more about my own sin and learn more spiritual lessons when God forgives me. That would be, that's the kind of argument a Christian wouldn't make. It would be very difficult to imagine someone who truly knows the Lord arguing in that fashion. So this is no excuse, but it does show how greatly the Lord himself can instruct us and how greatly he can increase our maturity by, on the one hand, sending illness in his providence or, on the other hand, giving us over for a time to the corruptions of our heart or to particular sins. We have seen then some of the reasons why the Lord dealt with Hezekiah as he did in his providence and what the king learned from it. But in the third and final point, I want to make some generalizations from that, some uh, more general observations about this kind of situation, something that I dare say we do experience fairly often as God's people. Our third and final point, why the Lord permits a, temporarily, a temporary backsliding. Uh, we've already seen two reasons. First, for his own glory. Second, for our good. And that second point, our good, the good of his people and particularly of his church, is seen in Article 7 in the Westminster, which says that though God's providence reaches to all creatures, yet 
it takes care of his church in a most special manner and disposes all things to the, uh, to the good thereof, which was certainly true in Hezekiah's case, as I mentioned. What happened to him had a beneficial effect on the whole church there in Jerusalem, in Judah. And we could think in this light of Romans 8, verse 28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. This is true for individuals. It is true for the church as a whole. The same cannot be said with respect to the wicked and the ungodly. They are just as much under God's providence. They receive a huge number of good gifts from God in his providence, uh, what we sometimes refer to as common grace, God's non-saving care and love for his handiwork, his own creatures. Though, and in fact, they're even unbelievers are even sometimes granted recovery from illness. They are granted a limited ability to feel remorse. And they are granted sometimes that they can overcome pride and bitterness in their lives. And yet, at the end of the day, the Lord withholds the special grace that is needed to lead them to truly confess their sins and truly to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and truly to be able to look at all the good gifts that God has given them and give, give him sincere praise and thanks for that. The ability to enjoy salvation in, in and from the Lord Jesus Christ, all of that is withheld from them. And the Lord gives them over to the power of Satan, to their own lusts, so that they even harden their own hearts and remain in that unbelieving state. And one of the outcomes of that is that the very same experiences that lead God's people to cry out to the Lord, as Hezekiah did, and lead them to turn to the Lord and confess their sins and draw closer to him, the very same issues that bring that about in God's people become occasions for the wicked rejecting the truth, ignoring God, and even blaming him for sending these things upon them. And that's the subject of the sixth article in this chapter of the Westminster. Article 5, however, gives us a list of the good effects that can come from these more difficult aspects of God's providence, both the physical and the spiritual setbacks that we experience. Just run through those. They tend to increase our awareness of our own sin, the deceitfulness, our awareness of the deceitfulness of our own hearts, as it did with Hezekiah. These things tend to humble us as God's people, as it did with Hezekiah. It increases our dependency upon the Lord, as it did with Hezekiah as it did with the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, that important lesson that he was strengthened in, my grace is sufficient for you. The problem didn't go away. God's grace is sufficient. It makes us more watchful, more alert for future occasions of temptation and sin. And one more that is not listed here, but it is an extremely important one, and uh, so I do want to make mention of this, that it leads to all the more praise and thanks to God when we realised 
that we have through all of these things, the physical setbacks, the spiritual problems, through all of that, that we have been recipients of that special care of God's providence, that we have a special place in his plan. And uh, so he leads us to benefit spiritually from those things. And that enhances our thanks and our praise to him, as it did with Hezekiah. And no doubt, as the Westminster comments, there are many other reasons that we could think of, but uh, that is a fairly good initial summary. Here then is this curious thing that a believer may go through the same horrendous experiences and sometimes they are horrendous. Uh, Such pain and fear and grief. Just as much pain and fear and grief it seems as the unbeliever may experience. And yet it can have precisely the opposite effect in the long run. Because of the Lord's special care for his church and for his people. Would you really want it any other way? Would you want to have these things completely removed from you in this life? Would you want it to be in such a state that you did not learn or have the opportunity to learn these deeper lessons? That uh, because of this heart of providence, you now have a, a, a deeper understanding of God's ways a deeper understanding of his mercy, a deeper understanding of his sovereignty and such things, and that you can then tell that to your children out of those experiences, and I hope you do. And you can tell them to your brethren, you can share those things with your brethren out of those deep and often difficult circumstances and experiences, and I hope that you do. You can tell them about the faithfulness of the Lord, and you can tell them out of the depth of those experiences even more about the mercy that you know comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and encourage them then with you to sing God's praises all the more, all the days of your life, however long they will be. Praise to the God who has kept your souls from the pit of nothingness. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we confess our tendency to blame others, even at times perhaps to blame you for our own failures. Lord, when we slip back in our exercise of Christian devotions, or when we fall into other temptations, we know that we like to make excuses. Will you give us the honesty to recognise our own sin and weakness and failure, the humility to confess those sins, and the ability to learn from our failures so that we can give more glory to you through our praise and our thanks and also our obedience, that we may do that with your help. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is with us, uh, guiding us and preserving us even through doubt and temptation. Sold to hymn to 137, we'll stand to sing. And would you please remain standing for the blessing and doxology. Number 137.
After the blessing is our doxology, we sing number 280 in the Psalter hymnal, stanzas 1 and 3. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.